Well, good morning. Welcome to Trinity Presbyterian Church. My name is Chris Colquitt. I'm the senior pastor here, and it's my joy to welcome you all this morning. Thanks for making it out in the rain. First, I have a very exciting announcement. Uh, If you drove a light green Toyota Camry to church this morning with license plate VEK1947, your lights are on. And so you should go fix that. I'll wait and start the sermon until you get back. But um, (laughs) go run out and take care of that real quick. Uh, Second announcement. You should have gotten an email from Amy and Kelly this week about community groups. If you receive our Trinity Life email, if you don't receive our Trinity Life email, that's a problem. You should scan the little QR code and sign up for that. Just want to encourage everyone to prayerfully consider joining a community group this fall if you're not already in one. It's a very important way for you to get connected to the life of this church. Trinity is a really big church. There's lots of people here, and it's easy to feel anonymous. Sometimes maybe you want to feel anonymous. I'd encourage you not to be anonymous. Join a community group. Get to know other people. Do life together with them. One note on that, um, I'm a realist. We're realists. And so we recognize that a weekly community group might seem overwhelming to some folks. And so if you look at that form, you will see that it's actually somewhat flexible in how that will look. We want to move into some flexibility there. So if you've been scared away by that level of commitment, fill out the form. See if you maybe can do something slightly less. Also on that line, uh, I am aware that out there in this community, there are community groups that are off the books, rebellious, (laughs) secret community groups that exist in their own little world, and we don't know about you. Come into the light. And if you do, I promise, we're not going to make you do anything different. I won't even make, I might encourage you someday to consider taking someone new. I'm not even going to do that. All I want to do, all we want to do is just know who you are and pray for you and give you resources and relationship. That's it. So truly, if you're one of those people, I'm so glad y'all are doing community. Just email me or Kelly and let us know who you are so that we'll know that you're out there and we can be praying for you uh, and connecting our resources to you. Sound good? All right. Announcements complete. We are beginning this week uh, a sermon series that will take us ultimately all the way through Easter, Lord willing, in the book of Genesis. We're looking at this first story, this first book of the Bible. I confess I have a sort of aesthetic sense to me, and I like starting at the beginning. This is my first big sermon series at Trinity, so let's start at the start. Uh, But more than that, this is strategic, because for us to understand God... For us to understand ourselves and for us to understand the story of redemption, we must understand Genesis. In my ministry in Chicago, I found myself again and again and again talking about Genesis. And so I will probably do that here. And so I thought we might as well get some things in order before we do. We'll learn about God, we'll learn about ourselves, and we'll learn about his great story that culminates in Jesus Christ. This is a book about him. With that, let's begin with Genesis chapter 1, first verse of the Bible through the fifth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light was good. 
And God separated the light from the darkness, and God, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Great God in heaven, we rejoice that you have called us together by your word. We thank you for the gift of that word, Lord. We couldn't know you without you revealing yourself to us. You have done so in creation magnificently, speaking of your goodness and your power. And you have done so savingly in Jesus Christ and in these, your holy scriptures. We thank you for that. We pray now that the Holy Spirit who hovered over creation at the very beginning, who spoke these words through Moses and who is now among us, Lord, be with us. Help me to speak clearly and truly, boldly, with grace and courage. Help all of us to see and treasure the good things of God, most of all our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. Be with us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. When we think of Genesis chapter 1 today, most of the time what we think about is the controversy. We think about conflict, apparent conflict, between our faith between the Bible and science. And then as Christians, sometimes we think about the conflict among ourselves concerning the details of how to interpret certain parts of this text. Now, Genesis 1 makes very important claims about the creation of the earth. We need to hear those. But the most important claim that Genesis 1 makes, the most important revelation that we have here, is actually revelation about God the creator, who he is. What I want us to do this morning is attend primarily to that, to learn what we can see here about our God who made the heavens and the earth. What we will see, though, is that focusing on the God who is revealed here is not sidestepping or ignoring the challenges that exist to this text. They actually help us answer them, and we'll see that as we go on. There are two fundamental realities that we see about God in this text. His power and his goodness. God is incredibly powerful and God is completely good. I want us to reflect on that this morning as we attend to this text. Our outline, if you're taking notes, is as follows. First, the power of the creator. Second, the goodness of the creator. And third, the hope of creation. The power, the goodness of and the hope. Okay, first the power. As we read Genesis 1, the most striking thing that we see in these first five verses, I want to suggest, is how easy it was for God. How simple and smooth creation was at the very beginning. In the beginning, God created. God said, let there be light, and there was light. The picture we have of creation is one of complete ease for God, our Father. Theologian and biblical scholar Meredith Klein puts it this way. The creator is portrayed not as a mighty warrior, but as an omnipotent artisan. Not as a cunning conqueror, but as an omniscient architect. There is no sense of the tumult of war in the account. Everything proceeds in orderly and stately fashion 
according to architectonic plan. Now, Klein likes lots of big words, but you get the idea. It's smooth. It's simple. God wants to make the world. He makes it. He wants light. He says it. It happens. This speaks in sharp contrast to the competing creation myths that the people of Israel would have been exposed to in their culture. Those myths saw creation as a profound story of conflict, that the earth was born of conflict among the gods. One famous one was the Enuma Elish, which is a Babylonian myth concerning creation. And there we see creation arising out of a fight between two gods, the god of the sea, Tiamat, and the storm god, Marduk. You don't need, there's not a test on this, but this is just for fun. Marduk defeats Tiamat, splits her body in two, and then builds creation out of her carcass. That's, that's the Babylonian Enuma Elish, okay? But here's the significant thing. It was, it was born out of this war. It was this fight. Marduk conquers and creates. God, apparently, has no enemy, no rival. There's nothing in his way. He creates. He speaks. It happens. And that way of speaking speaks to this incredible power of God. We don't see God getting a hammer out, getting a shovel out, and and working really hard. When he makes light, what does he do? He says, let there be light. And there was light. This is the sort of absolute power that dictators and emperors have always longed for, just to say, off with his head, and it's done. They never get that. But here, God actually has it. We're being introduced to a power that has no analog in our world. God is in complete control. He is the creator. The beginning that's described here is not God's beginning. It's the earth's beginning. God's there. He creates. He is the creator. He's not part of creation. God's really powerful. Okay, y'all got that? Hopefully that made, that made sense. Okay. Now here we can, we can say something about the apparent tensions between science and faith. Because see, the provocative claim of Genesis 1 concerning the almighty power of God is not in competition with the field of biology. The mighty claims of God, the creator, are much bigger than that. The concerns of biology are to observe laws of nature and try to discover patterns in them and make predictions from them. The claims of Genesis 1 are about a God who created nature itself, who stands outside of nature and acts upon it. He created the laws that biology studies. And God can act, as the Westminster Confession helpfully puts it, without, above, and against those laws as he pleases. The creation of the world by a creator, outside of creation, is a claim to supernatural reality. That's the claim of Genesis 1, that there is supernature. That word super means above. That's what the claim... When we say something supernatural, we mean it's above nature. The challenge of Genesis 1 is the same challenge as Jesus walking on water. 
either there is a God who can operate above the laws of nature, or there isn't. Science is a study of those laws. It has no view as such on whether there could be something outside of those laws. Y'all see that? The claim of Genesis 1 is that there is. And that's the consistent claim of the Bible. The central event of the gospel is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we could study for ages and ages and ages, and we will never discover some cellular feature of our bodies that allows resurrection to happen. That was a divine act, a miracle, just as creation was. This is good news. We'll talk a little bit more more about science in just a second. How do we respond to this reality? How do we respond to the reality that there is a creator God who is as powerful as the Bible says? Well, the first response, and maybe the one that we easily skip over as we go to ask really hard questions that are interesting to us, is awe. Do you feel awe when you see in Genesis chapter 1 a being that can speak things into existence? We should. Psalm 104, which is this beautiful psalm of creation, the ending point of Psalm 104 is praise. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. We cannot help but look at the mighty power of God and stand in awe and wonder and in praise. Don't miss that. But we also can appreciate our natural world. We can engage with our natural world. We can go on a hike. We can go to see mountains and canyons and oceans and storms, and we can say, wow. And we can also praise God. There's a reason we love to be in the face of really big things, really beautiful things. It's because we touch there, we see there, our Creator, a power that is much bigger than ourselves. Go stand at the Grand Canyon and you will feel something. You will feel the fingerprints of God as you see them. We can also, though, become scientists. The good Creator God who made our world frees us to study it. The history of science bears this out. Science... Modern science is born from alchemy. Alchemy was this desire to change lead into gold by magic. We're going we're gonna to mess with the stuff of our world, and we're going to use magic to do it. Incantations. And Christians came along and said, no. This world was created by a God on purpose and with order. And so rather than trying to come up with some spells to change lead into gold, let's study it. There's meaning here. We can try to understand it. That's the birthplace of modern science. There's order and there's meaning in the universe. Let's go study it. The third reaction to the power of God is faith. Not only do we see with awe, not only do we say the world's really cool and we can study it, but we say the God who makes the promises of the Bible is the God who spoke the world into being. And so his promises and his love come not with mere sentiment, but with incredible power. There's a challenge for us in that as we pray, as we seek God. Do you pray and seek a God who can speak being out of nothing? Or do you pray and talk to a God who you're trying to convince to maybe hope that he has power to maybe do something? 
God is mighty in power. But this last application raises a question because it assumes something that we haven't yet talked about, which is that this power is good. Absolute power, the closest things we've experienced to it in this world, are almost always evil. Dictators scare us. Our nation is set up to divide power so that that doesn't happen. But that's not the God of Genesis chapter 1. And that's our second point this morning, the goodness of the Creator. There's a, there's a feature to the creation narrative in Genesis 1 that we can easily miss, and I want us to think about just for a second. And that is this repeated refrain of the goodness of creation. Look at verse 4. God makes light, and then what does he see? He saw that the light was good. God saw the light was good. This refrain is repeated in verses 10 and 12 and 18 and 21 and 25 as God goes through creation. And then ultimately in verse 31, where after the creation of man, God says it was very good. God isn't just powerful. He's not just strong. He's not just able to do stuff. The stuff he does is good. It's the second big revelation of Genesis 1. He has ideas that can be carried out by the power of his speaking, and those ideas are good. He makes good things. He has good taste. In Chicago, if you ever visit Chicago, some of you will have done this, there's an architectural boat tour you can take. I think it's probably the best thing you can do as a tourist in Chicago. I did it a few times. And you go around on a boat through the river, and you look at big buildings, and it's pretty impressive. And and you'll be struck by a few things as you go on that boat tour. One, how amazing modern technology is that we can build these massive skyscrapers. That's pretty cool. Um, But two, you'll see beautiful buildings and think, that's really amazing. And then you'll also see a bunch of ugly buildings. And you'll think, what a waste of time and space and money. Wealth and power and the ability to build stuff is apparently not always hand-in-hand with good taste. You all all hear that, right? Architecture, good architecture, oftentimes is quite ugly. God is not like that. When God builds stuff, he builds good stuff. He makes good things. And not only does he make good things, but he has the authority to judge them as good. This is a subtle point. But it's a really important point. Not only does he make good things, but he sees them as good. He's the judge of goodness. His eye at creation is the eye that looks over it and determines whether it is good. Here we need to get philosophical for a second. When we look at creation, the world, we don't just see a world that is orderly and designed, but we see a world where there is such a thing as good. Okay. There is such a thing as good because there is a good creator. Not only can we do science, but we can do ethics. We can talk about right. We can talk about wrong because before and above creation is a God who sees good, determines good, distinguishes good from evil. Now, why am I, why are we talking about that? strange philosophical point. Well, we we need to hear it today because we live in a time when that is a contested view, contested intellectually, but also contested in your heart. Our post-postmodern age makes it hard for us 
to say that there is such a thing as transcendent objective good. That there is such a thing as the good. Um, we discussed this at length a few weeks ago, and I failed. I, I, I was gently rebuked without it ever seeming like rebuke for not introducing who Elsa was. Elsa is a character in Frozen, which is a Disney movie. And in that movie, Elsa, in her song, says, No right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. And that's this moment of liberation that the, the idea of good and, wrong and evil is actually this oppressive thing on her, and she needs to be free of that. To use the language of the academy, all sense of truth, including the idea of good and bad, is socially constructed. There's no such thing as an ultimate good. It's all a matter of us trying to negotiate our power dynamics and other cultural situations to define good and evil. That's, that's what you will find. But the clear witness of Genesis chapter 1 is that there is good. That there is a God who looks on the world and can determine if something is good or evil. Okay. Some of y'all who are philosophically minded found that interesting. Others of you didn't. Now let me bring it home in a different way, okay? When we lay in our beds at night, worried, wondering, chewing on the things of life, we are often worried, is there a God? Is, is, there, is, is there something in control? Not even is there a God. This world seems like chaos to me. My life feels completely out of control. Or, and, this world seems really messed up and evil. Seems like it's out to get me. Or, and, and or is the right way to say that. There's no meaning. It's all a waste. There is no good and bad. I'm, I'm imagining this. And, and whether you're philosophically grounded or just the normal person laying in bed wondering at these big existential questions in our heart, Genesis 1 answers decisively, there is a God who is powerful and he is good. There is power and goodness in our world. And, and as we experience the, the overwhelming waves of this life that make us doubt that reality, this is deeply comforting news. In the beginning, God created. He spoke. It came to being. It was good. That's good news. There's order. There's goodness to this universe. But that also raises a host of questions. Because it doesn't always seem that way. And this is going to take us to our third point. We can talk about the goodness and order of creation, and yet our experiences of a world that seems quite messed up, that often feels like it's out of control, which is why we sit there in bed wondering these things in our heart. We'll talk a lot more about sin and evil in weeks to come. Get excited. Genesis 3 is coming. But for the moment, I just want us to agree that this world is not as it should be. seems like it. If anyone wants to argue with that, come talk to me afterwards. Something's seemingly gone wrong with God's original good creation. What happened? Genesis 3 is going to tell us what happened, and so stay tuned for that. We'll get there October 1st. Mark your calendars. Here's the question I want us to think about today. 
What does a good and powerful God do with a world that is not good, that has gone bad by the free will of rebellious creatures? What does a good creator do? This is first going to be a really scary thought. What does an architect or an artist do? Some of y'all are sketching, sketching a design. You look at it and you're like, ah, it's not good. What are you going to do? You're going to flip your pencil over and you're going to erase it, right? That's, you're designing something good. That sounds innocent enough. When it comes to the God of the universe interacting with creation of which we are parts, the word for that is judgment. The word for that is judgment. God God does not create bad things and he does not abide bad things. And erasure means judgment. And we see a picture of this previewing the whole sermon series. In Genesis 6 through 9, in Noah, in the flood, some of you will know this story, that God sees the wickedness of the world and he sends a flood to destroy the whole thing. Start over. Erase it. But... As we'll see when we get there, God doesn't erase it completely. He preserves Noah and his family and the animals on the ark. And earlier, when Adam and Eve, in their freedom, rebel against their creator, God has the right and has told them that they will die. But instead of killing them in that moment, instead of erasing them in that moment, he drives them out of his presence, but he does that for their good. And then he executes a plan by which he is going to redeem and restore them. And the rest of the Bible, the rest of the story of the scriptures, is God, the powerful and good creator, setting to work to recreate and renew us. That's the story of the scriptures. That's the gospel. The same Holy Spirit who hovers over the chaos of the sea there at the beginning of creation and brings order and new life to it can hover over you and me, can hover over this world and bring newness of life to it, can recreate us. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, Paul says, God, who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, friends, the voice of God that spoke light into being can speak you into life. And the gospel that we proclaim here week after week and celebrate is the story of that happening. God's word of forgiveness and justification and promise His declaration of you as righteous is as strong and sure as the word that spoke light into being. Do you believe that, Christians in this room? There's nothing unsure about it. It's not a hopeful word. It's a decisive word. It's an acting word. It's a word that accomplishes what it speaks. The same power and goodness that created this world can recreate you. That's the gospel. And he will. See, friends, the work of the good creator, the work of the powerful creator, is not finished. It's active. The God of the Bible is not the God of deism. 
He doesn't just set up a really cool earth and say, here you go. He's not, a, he's not an architect and real estate developer who builds the thing and sells it off to somebody else. God is here. God is less an architect and more a playwright. The good news of the gospel is that he is not simply building a physical structure. He is writing a story. A story in which he will ultimately write himself in Jesus Christ, his son, who takes on flesh and enters into the messed upness of this world, that he might conquer and defeat death and bring newness of life. We're standing in that story today. You find yourself seated here this morning in the screenplay that God is writing for all of creation. The good and powerful creator brought you here this morning. The good and powerful creator is speaking to you this morning through this foolish guy to say and to offer recreation to you and to encourage you, if you have received Christ, that you are a new creation. We find ourselves in the drama of God's story this very day. The good and powerful creator is at work even now. But as with the flood of Noah, not all of creation is going to be remade. Judgment, brothers and sisters, is real. Because God is going to show his goodness and his power not only by recreating and restoring and renewing a people. He's going to do that. But he's also going to show that through the destruction of evil and the judgment of sin. I can't preach this text without asking you which of those two fates will be yours. Will God display his goodness and his power in renewing you and recreating you by the power of the Spirit, or will he show it in judging? This refrain, he saw it was good, he saw it was good, he saw it was good, he saw it was very good. It's the voice we long for in our hearts. Because as we're also chewing on those existential questions, we're also wondering, am I good? Do you think I'm good? And we go about our life looking for people to say, you're good. But here's the news, folks. The only person who can say you are good is our Creator. Only His voice of blessing will satisfy the deep longing of your soul to hear you are good. And only He can make you good by recreating you and forming you in the image of His Son. Only as we are united to the risen Christ and dwelled by the Holy Spirit who breathed life into creation, breathing life into us. Receive that. It's a stark contrast and yet a very simple offer. Receive Christ. Put your faith in him. Abandon your desire to go prove yourself good and rest in the goodness of Jesus. If you do, this truth is yours. The Spirit will recreate you, and one day you will stand in glory. Pronounced good. Praise God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we rejoice. We tremble.
that even on these first verses of Scripture, we see the trajectory of the universe and the character of you. God, what a privilege it is to sit on this side of the incarnation, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension, Lord, to be indwelt by the power of the Holy Spirit that came down at Pentecost, and to see in our bodies new creation bearing fruit. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us with this reality, that our hearts would be strengthened in faith, to know that the voice that speaks righteousness over us is the voice that spoke light into being. And I pray for those who are here who do not yet know you, who have not yet been recreated, that they would see and treasure Jesus Christ, the one who paid the penalty of death and rose victorious over it and offers to take us along with him. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Bless us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.